the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The life of Job also teaches us that God is not an armchair deity content to live on his great white throne and ignore us in the middle of our storms. The vision of Job's God is the picture of a loving God who breaks into human history and absorbs the anguish of us all in the whirlwind as we find answers when he is there. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Tenko is entitled The IMAX Man. We brought you the first portion of this message yesterday. We will conclude it here now. Remember that if you missed any portion of that first message, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com and listen to the entire broadcast. It's available underneath the Cosmic Controversy series or the current broadcasts at reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike. Then the Bible says Job tore his clothes and he worshiped God in the midst of his suffering, praying, Naked came I into the world, and naked shall I return. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, I don't know how he pulled that off. What about you? Can you imagine praying a prayer like that after something like that happened to you? I mean, it's unbelievable. There he is, worshiping in the midst of the, of the loss of everything he has. No fists at God, trying to come to grips with it. So after the passing of time in chapter 2, there's another council in the heavenly universe, and the devil doesn't look so good. Suddenly, he doesn't look good at all. And Satan comes eating his words while all the more determined to strike out at God through Job. So he figures, you know, there's one thing left in Job's life you can take from him. And when you take that, then he'll do what I say. He'll curse you. Job 2.4, Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life, but put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The chronicle of pain that follows is familiar to us all, covered from head to foot with sores. Job finally breaks down and cries out. He sits down in a dung heap and cries like a baby, trying to crawl and claw a way back to his mother's womb. Job 3.20, why is light given to him that is in misery? And life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes as my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes." You know, I read this story, I was first moved. The second time, I was perplexed. The third time, I I was frustrated. In fact, it moved to anger. Not at Satan, 
but at God. You see, I discovered as I read the story that God's the one that drags Job into this problem. Satan doesn't bring Job's name up at all. God does it. God's the one who makes Job the IMAX man parading his problems and showcasing his sorrows. And so the book starts out with a problem. God uses his power to drag Job into the arena. Job 1 verse 8. God's the one who says, Have you considered my servant Job? In other words, you've been ignoring him all his life. Now focus on him. It's God that does this. And this morning I'd like you to do what God asked Satan to do. And consider this lonely sufferer in the land of Uz as an authentic answer to deep questions. And more than this, to look at his life without trying to contrive answers. I believe his faith struggle provides four key lessons learned that can help you overcome when the storm blows against you and your house in uncertain times that are coming. In other words, we can look at Job's life and we can, go, we can gain lessons for our life. Faith lesson number one. In the context of suffering, people need people, not answers. I'll say that again. The context of suffering, people need people, not answers. Job 6, 14 and 15. He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Look at verse 15. My brethren are treacherous as a torrent bed, as freshets that pass away. You know, when someone is hurting, the worst thing you can do is to give them a speech on correct theology. When Job was down on his back, his three best friends show up, not to comfort him, but to give him a lecture on ethics and philosophy. They're all three loaded with time-tested, pat answers that don't work when you're hurting. And that's what they give. Friend number one, so, so far, he claims it's Job's sins that have brought all this misfortune on him. So repent up and get better. Friend number two, Bildad, claims that it's the secret working of God for good in Job's life. That's kind of like the providential argument of the Calvinists. The sovereignty of God is at work here. Friend number three, Eliphaz, has the gall to tell Job he should be happy and just forget about his problems. That's the positive thinking philosophy of the present day. None of that works when you're hurting. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book, Death and Dying, tells of a 28-year-old mother who was dying from advanced liver disease. Her husband was stressed out with the bills and the added pressure of raising the kids. He hinted indirectly to the mother that he hoped her illness would not be prolonged too long. She got the hint. He then began to pull away and become detached from her. She, in turn, tried to isolate herself by closing the doors, blocking herself off from her husband and family, till finally she lost the will to live. Alone she suffered, alone she waited for death, and she passed away like that. You see, friends, suffering produces guilt and shame, and most of all, isolation. The answer to isolation is not a speech on theology. The answer to isolation isn't why God does this or that or trying to figure it out. The answer is God's presence. At such a time as this, a friend needs to just be there. And often that's the only thing you have to say. You can speak by saying nothing. You can speak by simply being there. You can speak with your presence that God is near. Faith lesson number two, the issue of individual righteousness is not performance but relationship. How many times as Christians do we think that, you know, God is looking at me to see if I mess up. And if I mess up, then I've run my witness. That's not really what the Bible's focusing on because the issue of individual righteousness is not just performance as such, but it's relationship with God. Job 9.27, Job is speaking, If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my set countenance and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? 
In Job 1 verse 11, Satan argues that Job will curse God to his face. The Hebrew word translated curse here is a euphemism for the Hebrew word kalal, which means to curse, but that's not the word used here. The word used in Job 1.11 is the word barak, which means to bless. He says that he'll bless you, O God, to your face. That's what he'll do. In other words, Satan wants Job to ignore the injustice of his pain, forget about his problems, operate on a prosperity theology that says the right things to get the right outcomes. Pretend it doesn't exist. He'll bless you. He'll bless you, all right, because you have the stick in your hand. Come up and calm down and then bless God on high, Job, and all the answers come. Forget about being authentic with God when you're angry. Forget about praying about the feelings you really have. Just say the right things to get your camels back and more children in the future. Get practical about outcomes and call on God for the fruit of prosperity theology. Pray and pay and then God will hear. That's what he's claiming here. If God did this to Job in the context he would in effect be cursing God. And so Job catches that. He says, if I don't tell God where I'm coming from, I will become afraid of all my suffering, for I know that you will not hold me innocent. I need to tell you where I'm at. It's not about performance. It's about relationship. If Job did this to God in the context, he would in effect be cursing God and denying his relationship with God by opting for a false relationship that's nothing but a fraud to manipulate God. From God's perspective... There is no emotion that you experience that you should keep away from God. Did you hear me? There's no failure that should get in the way of you coming to God. There's no sin that you struggle with that should prevent you from praying for deliverance and forgiveness because you need God more than you need some track record you can put on a performance card to impress God. You don't need that part. You need God. From God's perspective, there's no emotion that's unimportant to Him. Notice what Job says. He says, why have you made me your target? Now, my son Donald this week was doing something he shouldn't have done. He got a slingshot. He was watching this YouTube survival series. He got a slingshot, and he cut out the part where you put the marble in, and he put in between it a, a piece of wire that will allow him to put an arrow in it. Then he went and he made him an arrow like the Indians out of a reed. He took a piece of glass and he made him an arrowhead in it. And then he wrapped it around, and then he took that slingshot, and he aimed it at, you won't believe this, his soccer ball, 20 feet away. This really happened. He pulled it back, and he let it go, and that arrow hit the soccer ball. Then it bounced right off the soccer ball, came right back, and hit him in the eye. <laughs> Fortunately, he closed his eye just in time to not lose his eye. Why have you made me your target, Job says. I set my eye on you, and it comes back and hits me in the eye. Does it seem good to thee to oppress, to despise the work of thy hands and favor the designs of the wicked? By the way, my son did not lose his eye. He goes on to say, Hast thou eyes of flesh? Dost thou see as a man sees? Dost thou seek out my iniquity and search out for my sin, although thou knowest that I am not guilty? He says, I have sinned, but I've come to you. Therefore, I'm not guilty. What are you trying to do? You're trying to resurrect the stuff in the past that I have taken to you? 
this is what's in play in his mind. When a person suffers, they sometimes express emotions that seem wrong to religious people. And when that happens, the worst thing you can do is to tell them to straighten up and quit sinning. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty four sixteen, a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. The definition of righteousness is not the absence of failure. The definition of righteousness is the willingness and the faith to get up and walk and to not let sin stand in the way of a relationship with God, to move forward and give it to God. We grow and we experience pain, and sometimes learning to walk involves tripping up and picking up. Tripping up and picking up means relationships with God. The issue for your life from God's perspective isn't whether or not you trip up, but rather do you pick up when you fall and start walking again. Staying with God is what you need to have God. God is more concerned with your faith walk than how many times you trip up as you walk with Him. Faith lesson number three, ultimately only God knows the why behind suffering. We can analyze it, be scientific about it, try to give great philosophical treatises on it. Ultimately no one has a clue but God. Job 28, 12, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man does not know the way to it and is not found in the land of the living. He's saying, I don't have a clue what's happened to me and I can't figure it out. Why are you trying to tell me when you don't know either? In another place, Job asks his three friends why they are so quick to become God's spokesman. He says, will it be well with you when God finds you out? When my dad died, a traveling preacher came to town. He told me, God had taken my dad to save his soul. That was just a great thing to hear at the age of 15. I felt like telling him off right then and there. I was relieved when this traveling preacher kept on traveling right out of town. Glad he was gone. The Bible describes evil as the mystery of iniquity. Suffering is a result of sin. There's no good reason for sin and suffering in this world. There's mystery in the mix of personal pain and cosmic pain. If you could explain why sin arose, it would cease to be sin. It would cease to be the mystery of iniquity. The Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity. No cheap answers will transform the mystery of iniquity into something clear and understandable. Faith lesson number four. Suffering contains within it a reward. That's what we learn from Job's experience. In Job 38 verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I mean, there's a lot packed in that statement. God didn't answer Job on a peaceful, calm day. He didn't answer Job when the sky was blue and there was no breeze. He answered Job out of the storm, out of the whirlwind. The book of Job starts with a wind that kills Job's family. It ends with a whirlwind that brings God to Job. It's a book about a storm that doesn't end until God comes in the storm. In the book of Job, God is revealed in the storm. He becomes the storm that calms Job's life. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. 
he becomes the storm that calms Job's life. His presence becomes the answer when there are no answers to questions, when he is lonely in the midst of his questioning. The whirlwind does not take you to the land of Oz where ruby slippers fall on your feet. The whirlwind comes to the troubled land of Oz where you live and struggle for life, and God is in the storm. And God is the one who finds his servant there. Job 42.1 Then Job answered the Lord, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." And then verse 7, And the Lord has, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And verse 5, Job says, Now my eye sees thee. In Job's suffering, God has given him a window into his own suffering at the divine level. The God who lives in the whirlwind has spoken to the man who lives in his own storm. Only the heart that is bled can understand the heart that eternally bleeds and the heart that would one day be poured out at Calvary's cross for the sins of the world where Jesus would say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no answer to that question at the cross of Calvary. But this question is renewed. The first time the question why is asked in the Bible, it does not come from human lips. It comes from God who tells Cain, why has your countenance fallen? There is no answer. And at the cross, there is no answer. Why have you forsaken me? That is the nature of sin and evil. You cannot answer these questions. In the Bible, God is ultimately the one who suffers in the universe. He's the one who lives out sleepless nights as dying and starving people cry out for him in the night for life. He hears every prayer. He's the one who has to watch a thousand souls sink into hopeless graves with no hope of a tomorrow because of the failure of people to reach out and bring them to a knowledge of God. And friends, they're all his children deep inside his father's heart. He loves everyone. He sees it all and he suffers with an infinite pain that is a mystery that we can never understand and he himself can never understand it. In the Bible, God is the righteous sufferer who has merited no wrong in anyone's hands. And pain is defined in the Bible by the awful tragedy of a cross His cross that he carries the effects of into eternity. In verse 7, God tells Job three friends that Job has said of me what is right. Job got it right and they got it wrong. Prosperity theology failed, but Job's faith in God did not fail. I mean, he chose to hang in there with God when he couldn't figure it out. Job, with all his mistakes, was right about God. And they, with all their cheap answers, were wrong about God. In his own experience, Job gave us a picture of how God hurts and how God feels, knowing that sin must run its ugly course for the universe to be secure at the end. The life of Job also teaches us that God is not an armchair deity content to live on his great white throne and ignore us in the middle of our storms. The vision of Job's God is the picture of a loving God who breaks into human history and absorbs the anguish of us all in the whirlwind as we find answers when he is there. He is the answer when there are no answers in the great storms of life. Isaiah the prophet said, In all of our affliction he was afflicted. In the book of Job, God gives no answer to the question why, but rather he answers the question who. More profound question. 
Not why, but who. The upholder of the universe cares for a lonely man so deeply that he comes to be with him and he offers him the fullness of his presence. Not presence, but his presence. There's a difference. And in the presence of God who suffers with him, Job's many questions sink into nothingness. Presence don't matter anymore. Outcomes is not the object of the faith journey. It is the presence of God that is the great reward. Prosperity theology that seeks presence from God is a bankrupt theology. Job sought God in his presence and peace was the outcome in the end. The God he needed, he found deep within. And the God who had become his adversary became the answer he sought in the storm. Paradoxically, God became the storm that calmed Job's troubled life and led him to a new life on the other side of the whirlwind. David Cross was caught on camera recently. It made national news responding to his pain in a very inappropriate way. Do not do what he did. He bought a van that was a lemon, and the dealer wouldn't take it back. He went to the dealer, and he says, Please take my lemon back. And the dealer said, No, you're stuck with it. Sorry, mister. Goodbye. He was so in with that. He was stuck with an outcome he couldn't change. He was glued to a limb and he couldn't return. So life is like that at times. I and mean, you don't always get what you want. You can try as hard as you like and some things you just got to live with. Well, he, he chose to do something else. There are outcomes and realities you face that you can't alter. And you got to really handle it right or, or life can change for you. So David Cross decided to double cross the dealer who dealt out trouble with him in such a hard way. The man who couldn't handle pain became a pain machine handling out freely so he could get even and get his way. The victim mentality took control of the victim. Overcome with anger, David Cross drove to the parking lot at night to get even with his oppressor. He picked the first car he could find that sold for more than $25,000. And what did he do? He took that lemon van. It was still able to drive a little. He smashed it right into that car. He then picked another car worth $20,000, and he smashed his lemon van into that car too. Then one car after another, he plowed a path right through them, and he mangled and he messed them up. He made many lemons that day. He picked cars that were worth the most, and he destroyed them with his lemon that was worth the least. The man who wouldn't deal with a raw deal in his own mind decided to deal out his own sense of justice to make a statement. David Cross is proof that payback time only makes more lemons. He could have prayed for the owner who sold him the car, couldn't he? But he didn't. He could have asked God to help him deal with the pain, but he didn't. He could have asked God for answers to understand how to avoid pain in the future, but he didn't. Instead, he just lashed out and hurt others in his pain. He took the lemon he had, and he spread the sour stuff all around. Dear heart, if God has placed your life on the IMAX screen of the universe like Job, then decide deep within to keep your lemons to yourself. Make a decision to hold the pain that hurts others, but give it freely to God who can absorb it and understand it. Decide deep within that you will not spread the sour stuff that destroys the sweetness in other people's lives, but you will maintain an open connection with God and you will pour it all into the heart that can receive it and the, and the ear that can hear, the ear of God. Job 42, verse 8, God gave this command to Job's friends. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams. and Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. 
So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuathite and Zophar the Naamite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Dear heart, healing comes when you pray for those who hurt you. I'll repeat myself. Healing comes when you pray for those who hurt you. Healing comes when you can share and you can care and you can pour out your heart to God for those who have caused you pain. That's the proof that you have God. And when you pray that God will help the ones who have helped to break you down and hurt you, then you are no longer a broken person, really. You have passed from personal pain to God's personal presence. And God's presence becomes the powerful energy in your life to bless others that need God in spite of the stuff that has happened to them. It's the stuff that can break in and help them see God in their own storm. The person who's taught by pain and patience will receive their life back from God in the end. And they will have more to say about God and more to do for God than they ever did before their rendezvous with pain. You see, God has brought pain into your life as a providential catalyst for helping you help others. The Bible says God turned the affliction of Job when he prayed for his friends. Not when he tried hard to fix his life, not when he focused on his failures, but when he prayed for others, God turned his life around. Dear heart, Job surrendered his pain for God's presence. Job surrendered his pain for God's presence. Not presence that you receive, but presence that is there. And in the strength of God's personal presence, he prayed for his friends. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today, and as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.